Hello, Jose Zayas here, week seven. Can you imagine? Seven weeks that we've been apart physically. And I wonder if you have asked the question, God, where are you? Uh, you may not be asking that right now. You may be in a good spot. But the more and more I interact with people, that real honest question, if there's a God and this God, according to the Bible, is good, God, where are you? Uh, how do we face real questions like that? global pandemics, financial crises, everything shut down. How do we help people? Maybe you're secure in your faith, you're confident. Maybe you're watching and you're searching and you really want to know, I, I believe that there could and possibly and maybe and should be a God, but what do we do with like the real world of all the pain and suffering going on right now? God, where are you? You know, week after week, we're getting, unfortunately, information and misinformation about COVID-19. And there's all sorts of speculation about when are things going to open up and when is it going to look like and how do we know when the worst is over and the flattening of the curve, is that actually happening or is there round two about to come? We just don't know. Now, let me give a little bit of helpful perspective and I don't want to be insensitive. Hear the whole story. I don't want to be insensitive, but I have to be honest. I've traveled to some of the poorest parts of the world for the last 25 years. And when it comes to questions, especially about God and his goodness, and God, where are you? I think, I think at least, we're at a disadvantage. I think that we've lost touch with reality when it comes to perspective on what we deserve and what we expect and what we consider normal in the first place. To many of the places that I go around the world, they're not asking the same exact kind of question because they're used to a world that's out of control. I think part of the challenge that you and I have, especially as Jesus followers living in a more affluent Western culture, is we believe, falsely, but we believe that we're in control. And part of the nature of our question about God, where are you, is like, why is my situation not under quote-unquote control. And when it's out of control, like, well, where's God? Most of the world knows what it's like to go to bed hungry. That's just true. Stats uh, figure that out. And as my experience at other people who travel to the majority world, most of the world is not, does not have access to great health care. Most of the world knows what it's like to lose a loved one from something that they didn't know about or was easily curable. Most of the world wrestles with the tension of the things that we know to be true, know to be right, and the unknown. Most of the world has already walked through these uncertainties. I think it's us. I think it's American culture, European culture, Western culture, that's so used to be able to say, I've got this, we've got this. This is like secure and it's not until things are no longer under my control that I begin to ask those questions. God, where are you and why and why me and why now? Now, there are, there are lots of things going on so I don't wanna be simplistic. And I, I'm saying, God, where are you is an honest question. It is a good question. But we need to come to the Bible recognizing that some of the questions I'm asking are because I have a perspective different from the Bible. And this is why I love reading the scriptures, because the scriptures don't hide questions. They don't ignore questions. The scriptures actually address these questions. And so in a real subtle way over the next couple of weeks, we're in week two, by the way, of our series, The Way of Jesus. 
And the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, what Jesus has to say about life in the here and now, where God wants to be our king, can help us answer the question, God, where are you? Now, it's going to be real subtle, and it's going to be more next week that I'm going to get into it, but I want to set it up uh, today. Last week, we, we looked at a little bit of the background, and when it comes to these big picture questions, remember Jesus is speaking to real people in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, where we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to real individuals, and the setup of what happened beforehand helps us to understand the depth and the meaning of what Jesus has to say. So let's backtrack just a little bit. Remember, the main teaching of Jesus is what? How many of you remember from last week? Matthew 4, 17. Jesus said, repent, have a change of mind, turn the direction of your thinking in your life. Why? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you missed last week, I encourage you to watch uh, the podcast or the YouTube channel. And basically the big picture teaching of Jesus, the big message of Jesus is God is the true king. There's no king, leader, ruler like God. And God has come, come near. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God just speaks to God's presence, God's good and loving care, his rule. And Jesus announces to a group of people, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's here, it's now. And in the middle of their questioning, Uh, about what's going on in their life. Because remember, we're not the first people to face trouble. Just just look at what Jesus said afterwards. Look at uh, Matthew 4, 23 through 25. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news of Jesus spread all over Syria, And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And notice, and Jesus healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, which if you're not a geography major, everywhere in and around Israel. They began to follow him. I want us to remember, this is a bit of a recap, but this is huge, and it addresses the question, God, where are you? Jesus announces, God has come near. And so Jesus says, change your mind about God, yourself, and the world in light of God's nearness. So the scriptures show us that God is closer than we think if we have eyes to see. So many times in the Gospels, you're gonna say, you're gonna see Jesus saying statements like, you know, let him who is, has ears, let him hear. Like what? Like everyone has, or most everyone has ears. Not everyone's really listening for God's truth, for God's voice. Those who have eyes, let them see. Not every, every now most of us have physical eyeballs. We have good vision. We can see, but not everyone who, who is looking, is actually looking for God. And so Jesus announces God's rule, God's good loving care is here. And how do we know it? Jesus announces it and then shows it. It's like show and tell. He says, you can have a change of mind on how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see the future, if you will just notice what God's doing. And what is God doing? He's bringing his loving care near. So Jesus goes around from town to town announcing good news, good news, good news. 
Your challenges are real. Your problems are real. Your, your paralyzed state is real. Your having seizures is real. But everyone who comes closer to Jesus and is able to turn and change their mind about the goodness of God and seeing where God is at work is experiencing God's loving care and rule. So Jesus brings the kingdom near. Jesus proclaims his good news that God has come near. And then Jesus is healing all of these diseases and sicknesses. And what we need to remember, the key to unlock this is, is Jesus isn't just doing some nice stuff. Like, oh, wow, isn't God nice on occasion? He's showing in demonstration God's heart and God's attention. It is to bring things that are broken under his good, loving care. And where God is, healing does come. Now, we'll have to tuck that away because that does not mean everyone is healed physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, immediately. All right, so the moment I say God brings healing, you're gonna probably bring up, well, what about me? And, or what about my friend? Or what about this scenario? Healing has dimensions to it that we're gonna learn about in this teaching of Jesus. But I want us to see big picture. Where is God? What is God like? God is near and God is loving and caring and he brings wholeness and healing to those who will turn to him. So then let's get into chapter five. This is a recap from last week, verses one through two. Now, when the disciples saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, Jesus is announcing this to who? Context matters. These are people who have been going from the Decapolis, the 10 cities, the other side of the Jordan, Jerusalem, north, south, east, and west, basically. They've been hearing about Jesus. They have seen Jesus or they heard secondhand about what Jesus did. And so they're coming. They want to know more. They're searching. And so this morning or whenever you're watching this, if you are searching, if you are looking, if you are seeking, guess what? Jesus says, you're going to find. I'll give you a little side note. I think that one of the good things that's happening in this global slowdown is that we are being given by God margin to think about our lives and to think about what really matters and to think about the trajectory of where we're going and what we believe and why. And so here they are, the curious, we'll call them, because they've seen Jesus work, but they don't know the whole story. And maybe that's us. Maybe we could say that we're in the same spot. We don't know everything, but we know enough to be curious. And Jesus sits down, which was the position of a rabbi. When a, a rabbi or teacher was going to begin their lesson, they would sit down and then the students would know, okay, it's time to, to, to pay attention and, and listen in. The rabbi, the teacher is going to speak and he sits down and he begins to teach them. And, and notice what happens first. Let's just keep reading uh, Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you have a, a subtitle or little titles in your Bible, mine uh, says the Beatitudes, right? And some of you are saying, well, why did you mispronounce it? I thought it was blessed are the poor. Or, you know, aren't these the blessed? No, the word is just blessed because we're in English translating a Greek word anyway. Blessed. Now, where, where, where the Beatitudes or this concept comes from, it's because the Bible was first translated in Greek into Latin before it was into other languages. And the word is Beatitudo or Beatus in Latin. And that word simply means what we call in English, blessed. And so Jesus begins his teaching. He sits them down, says to his disciples, here's what I want you to know by the way, here's what I want you to know that informs what you already experienced. Here's the funny thing about God. Often he works in your life. He works in my life. He does something profound, and then we learn about it afterwards. Rarely is it, here's this lesson, here's this principle, and then it's, it's kind of lived out in your existence. Usually something happens, you're like, wow. And then God in his goodness, by the Holy Spirit, lets us know, well, actually, this is just what God is like. So they've experienced God's goodness. They've seen God's power. The kingdom of heaven, God's rule, God's loving care has come near in this person. And now they want to know, what does this mean? Four things I want us to see today. Just four things about these blessings, about what it means to be blessed. And then because this is so long, there's so much good stuff, we're going to look next week in detail at the nine blessings that, that Jesus gives here, okay? But four that will help us unpack and unlock what this is saying, what it's not saying, and what it means for day-to-day -day life. First thing, write it down. Please, I want you to drill this in your soul. Jesus begins with blessing. He begins, with, what's the first word of Jesus? First words matter because it sets the tone for everything else. And what we're going to see is later on, Jesus is going to call these early. These are disciples, not just the 12. All we know about is Peter, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. We only know about four who become the 12. And then you have all these other people who are following. Could be 50, could be 100, could be a couple hundred. We actually don't know. But they're not identified as the inner circle yet. Later on, it's not until Matthew 10 that Jesus lists out of all of his disciples, he's going to invest in the 12. So these are people like you and I, they're searching. These aren't leaders. These are, these are regular people who are curious about Jesus. What's Jesus' first word to you? It is not about how bad your life is. It is not about how off you are. Jesus' first word, and it sets the tone. He will call them to a radical lifestyle of following him. He will call them to avoid, ignore, go the opposite direction of cultural values that do not line up with the heart of God. But Jesus's first word to us is blessing. It's blessing. And so now I want to make a helpful distinction. God's word to you and me, it is good. He has good to say to us, but it doesn't mean everything in life is good. And this is where people come with the question, God, where are you in this situation? Because if God is good, why do bad things 
happen. Early on in the teaching, we need to make a distinction. Jesus says, blessed, 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 blessed. Now he is speaking to people in abject poverty. He's speaking to people with all sorts of brokenness. Remember, they have to bring people from the towns and villages whose lives are not blessed. They don't see God's blessing. They don't feel God's blessing. They don't see God's closeness. And Jesus says to them, like he says to us, actually, you need a new vision of who you are because the king has come. You've invited the king to live with you. You've invited the king to lead you and guide you. You are blessed, even though those circumstances aren't. So a helpful distinction. God is good, but not all of life is good. And that is not like a false dichotomy. Those things can both be true at the same time. So cancer is not good. And I think it's very unhelpful if someone that you know comes down with cancer, you say, oh man, wow, that's, that's good because God's going to show you some good things about himself. Well, it is true that he is going to reveal himself and he's going to expose things in our lives and he's going to teach us and he's going to comfort us. But the cancer is not good. Unemployment isn't good. Now, being in a position where you realize that your dependency is on your job rather than Jesus, that your hope is in your finances and in your portfolio and in your retirement date, which has now been probably pushed off into a far, far future. Now, if, if our God is our money, then in that sense, unemployment can lead to good in our life, yes, but let's call it what it is. The unemployment isn't good. It's not good for the family. It's not good for your own soul. Social distancing in this extreme way is definitely not good. We need people. And global pandemics are not good, right? So we have to say what is true. These things aren't good, but it doesn't mean that the essence of God is not good. So uh, we have to, as we read the Bible begin to discern what the Bible is teaching us. And in the beginning, you see that God makes everything and he says everything is good. And if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and into 4, you'll probably get the framework for the entire world. Because God makes a world and he says it's beautiful and it's good. And he gives uh, men and women the ability to rule with him. Uh, the kingdom of God is not just like a New Testament concept. The kingdom of God is from Genesis 1 and 2. And, and he makes Adam and Eve and he's with them in the cool of the day. And, he's, and he says, here's the garden and it's ours. I made it and it's good. And, and you can cultivate it. You can grow it. You can move it forward. And let's do this together. God's nearness, God's presence with his people doing life. But the brokenness of the world is not from God. The brokenness of the world is from the rebellion. It's the after effect of the rebellion of mankind. Everyone has sinned, the Bible said, and fallen short of God. God is glorious. God never does wrong. God is not the source of evil. But evil exists in, in human form and in our world system because you and I, we're the ones. We're the ones who've rebelled against God and it's opened the gateway for life apart from God to be real. And so we're living in a world where there's so much brokenness. And it's, it's the after effect. It's like the shock waves, like a tsunami. You get the wave and the after effect. Sin has destroyed 
this close intimate relationship between us and God. And it's seen in nature and it's seen in human relationships and it's seen at every level. But we have to make a helpful distinction. God is not the author of this. He's actually working in real time to bring his world back into order so that instead of us following this broken system and this broken world and broken people and following our own broken, you know, desires, that we would come back under God's good rule. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now let's define the word blessed because I keep saying like God, God's first word to us is, is blessing. Well, the word blessing here is the word makarios, and here's what it could mean, because you could translate it with a lot of English words. You could translate it favored. Uh, favored are you, poor in spirit. You could translate it happy, although happy is not a helpful one, at least in my thinking, because I think, you know, if it's my birthday and I get a good gift, I'm happy. If it's my birthday and everyone forgot it, it's August 7th, by the way, and everyone forgot it, then I'm not happy. It's Happy in our English modern translation is, is more circumstantial, right? If, I've, if I got a good cup of coffee, I'm happy. If they told me it's decaf, I'm suddenly sad, right? That, that's not helpful, but favored to me is a better word. You could translate it privileged. Privileged are the poor in spirit. You could translate it fortunate. And I, I like the word of all of them is favored because the word favored has this weight about it that, that I didn't get it because of my own deserving. If, um, if you invite me into your home for a meal, I'm favored. I, I'm not just going to show up. Like you invited me like, wow, thank you. And I come in and, and if you pull out the stops and you're just like, you find out exactly what I wanted and enjoy and love and wow, there it is. And you made it and it's amazing. I'm favored. This, this is, it's not something I deserved. Uh, it's something that's been given to me. And I think that's the tone of what Jesus is saying is the word blessed. You have been favored by God. You are fortunate when you come under God's good rule. And in one sense, you could say, I'm happy. Or you could say, I'm graced. And Jesus is saying, this has come to you because the king has come near. And when these disciples decided to listen to Jesus, he's saying, I want to give you insight unto how life works. When you come to me, says Jesus, I come with God's blessing, favor, privilege. And because you now belong to me, if you come under my leadership, you can call yourself blessed. In one sense, you could say that God's goodness is, is God's grace extended to us. And this is not new. What Jesus is doing, as I look at the Bible, you have to read the beginning and the middle and the end to get the whole sense of what God is saying. To me, when I look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, this is repeat. Think about it. Uh, God planned to have Adam and Eve and everyone after them live in a close relationship with him, and it's their rebellion, their sin, that breaks that apart. What is the first thing God does? I want you to notice this. If you read Genesis 3, when God comes, he says, where are you? To Adam and Eve, where are you? You should be close. God reaches out to humans who've turned against him. And what does Jesus do? He comes. God made man, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus comes and he's born as a child and he lives a human experience and he comes to our level out of love. 
we are blessed because God has not forgotten us. Now, it doesn't mean my circumstances are good. That distinction is important. But if I read the Bible clearly, carefully, thoughtfully, I will come to the conclusion that God is good. Now, the problem is we read parts of the Bible, a few parts of it, and extrapolate that God is mean and vindictive and God wants to crush people. But let's just think of the human experience. Have you had a day where you had a right to be angry about something and you, you know, whether someone did something, some circumstance was wrong, it was unjust, and you called it out, right? You, you called it out. But what if someone just only saw that like five minutes of your life? and how your vein popped because you were infuriated by something, and this is wrong, and we're going to make this right. If you only caught that five minutes of, in this case, what is right and good, you had a right to be angry about that situation and make it right, what if someone said, well, that's who you are, and did notice every other bit of your life? And I think the problem is when we read the Bible, we can read it selectively, and we can give and project on God something that's not true. You read the whole of the Bible, just read a Genesis 4. God does not destroy everyone. He loves them. He comes to them, and in Genesis 3, this is beautiful. What's the first thing God does? He curses not Adam and Eve. He curses the serpent, the tempter. God deals with the source of evil, and the source of evil is not humans, and it's not himself. But as the tempter, it is the serpent in Genesis 3 and says, you will be crushed. Yeah, you've, you've done something. You've, you've brought men and women against me. You've twisted the truth and they've believed you. But I'm going to crush your head. This is good news. Yes, the enemy is going to be crushed. And then God does tell them life is going to be hard. I mean, he, he doesn't hide the fact that sin and rebellion breaking this closest with God is going to have long-term effects. And so he says to the lady, you know, having that family is going to be difficult. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. But notice, he's going to be there. And to the, to the guy, to Adam, he says, you know, working, providing, caring, it's no longer going to be as easy as it was when we were absolutely close. Sin has effect. And I think that's where we need to remember in days like this and in times like this, that the source of evil is not God. There is a tempter. There is an evil one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But notice what God does next. And write this down, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So God deals with the source of evil first, the tempter, and says, I'm going to crush your head. And we know that that crushing and that defeat is in and through Jesus, who on the cross pays for sin in full. And, and he says, yes, life's going to be hard, but what's the first act of God towards his people? It's grace. He covers them. They're ashamed. They're exposed. And God comes in with grace and he comes in with mercy. And then you keep reading, God is with his people. So, so let's recap. What do we need to know to help understand this central teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Jesus' first word is blessing. 
Now he is going to have words to say that are going to be difficult to swallow about how to live in relationship with him. But the first word is grace and mercy and blessing. All right, I said four things. I spent the most time on the first three more. And then next week, we're going to pick it up and look line by line through these blessings. Second one, write it down, is the blessings are an announcement, not a requirement. The blessings that Jesus gives, these nine blessings, he's announcing them. He's not saying these are the entryways, or if you do these things, I will do these things. So you can read it wrongly. If I become poor in spirit, well, then I'm going to get the kingdom of heaven. So what is it going to take for me to become poor in spirit? Or, or if I mourn, God says, then I'll be comforted. Okay, so I'm really not going to know the closeness and the comfort of God until I'm brought to a state of mourning. While we want to go that direction, that's not the tone of what Jesus is saying. He's announcing good news, good news of Emmanuel, God with us. Because these disciples have chosen before anyone else to know who Jesus is and to follow his way, guess what? With Jesus comes blessing. These are pronouncements. These are announcements. They're not requirements. So when Jesus brings healing to people, it's not just random acts of kindness and God like being kind to people. Jesus is demonstrating the blessing of God, the healing of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God has now come in. And it's not just through one person being healed or another person being set free of demon possession. The presence and the goodness of God has come upon all of his people. So the healings and the mighty work of Jesus are part of his kingdom presence on display. But that's not the only way his kingdom presence is on display. So these are announcements to us. They're not requirements. Jesus is declaring you are blessed. And let me just ask, is this our definition of blessing? I think so much of my definition, my default mode is I am blessed when I have these things. I am, and I'm blessed when these things are removed from my life. And Jesus is able to weave the tension that there is in the Bible of a good God in a broken world. And these people are still financially poor, and he says, you're blessed. Many of them are still sick or troubled by something that is the direct or indirect result of a sinful, broken world. And Jesus says, you're blessed. So it is possible to follow God and to love Jesus and things to not all be neat and tidy in an order. And like I said at the beginning, I think part of it is our cultural expectation that we're going to have control, neat, perfect lives because that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, the Bible is helpful enough to tell us that there's always brokenness. And there's always trouble. Jesus even said, in the world, you're always going to find poor people. How about that one? Jesus is the one who can fulfill every desire. But Jesus says, the poor you're going to have with you always. Jesus knows the truth about life. And so the second thing we need to remember is Jesus is announcing there's good news. God's favor, God's presence is with you. Third thing, the blessings are given to the least likely people. This is like some of the greatest news of all. Jesus is with the lowly. Jesus is not with the popular. Jesus is not with the elite. Jesus is not with necessarily the most affluential or influential people. 
He is with those who have ears to hear, eyes to see what God is doing. And so the least likely people, this is going to help us to understand when Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. Like, what? I don't, I don't get what that means. It's an extension of this idea that blessing comes to the least likely people. And so you may feel like you're, you're not the greatest candidate for God's grace. Guess what? God says, um, you need to see it from my perspective. I'm going to show you favor. You may feel like, well, I don't measure up. Great, perfect. You're the exact kind of person that God is wanting to show his care and his love. Happy are those who come to Jesus with nothing but brokenness and find him. You see, what qualifies you for God's grace is breathing. If you are breathing and have eyes to see God's love, ears to hear God's love, if you will recognize Jesus for who he is, you are the blessed. And this goes against religion, uh, any form of religion, which says, if you do, then you get. If you avoid, then you get. If you reach, then you get. And that is not the good news of God, and that is not the good news given in and through Jesus. The good news given in and through Jesus is that God loves us, and he demonstrates his love and his mercy in sending his Son. And those who receive the Son receive the mercy and the favor and the goodness and the pleasure of God. This is good news. And Jesus announces it at the beginning of his teaching is you don't have to measure up. God has chosen to come to you just as you are. Wow, super good news. We'll look at more of that next week. The fourth one when we're done is the blessings are both now and future. Uh, they're they're speaking to the now situation and the future. Uh, By the way, it's hard to see this in English, but the first blessing, blessed of the poor in spirit, is written in the present. Blessed of the poor in spirit, for theirs, for the kingdom of heaven has come to them now. Like it's, it's here. And then the last two, which speak about persecution, is in the present tense. Now, don't be surprised when you have to endure suffering now. But the, the middle ones, the middle six, are future. Now, I'm not trying to confuse, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus wraps us up beautifully. God's presence and goodness is here now, but we're not going to experience all of it now. Some of it we're going to see in the future. And this helps answer that question. God, where are you? Especially when bad things happen. He's here now. But some of his presence, some of the repercussions, some of the healing and the wholeness, we're not going to experience yet. Some of it's for now and some of it's for the future. And so even in the beginning, when when God says, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent, I'm going to defeat evil, there are thousands of years of human history that happened before Jesus does that. So God's blessing is now, but just because you don't see it now doesn't mean it's real. And so when we wonder where God is, we have to make room for a God who is good and will show us the fullness of his goodness over time. Think back to the conversation we had about uh, with Steve and Vicki a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that teaching, go back uh, to our website and it was on the series, We Will Rise. And, and I think Steve and Vicki embody the reality of now and future. And so Steve and Vicki, Vicki who's going through cancer, even as we speak, she is blessed now. 
because God is with her and Jesus is, is doing a work in her life and has rescued her now from her sin and from her past and has promised her future life, eternal life, life with God now, life with God in the future. But you know what? Her body is still racked with cancer right now. She's fighting it and battling it now. So does that mean she's not blessed? Does that mean that God's not with her? Absolutely not. His promise of healing and wholeness is now and future. So we need to be patient. We don't have a guess future. We have a guaranteed future. Blessed are those who follow Jesus. Now we get the presence of God, but we're not going to see it all today. So hold on, my friend, as you're enduring hardship. Hold on as you're walking through the unknown. Hold on as you're wrestling with questions about where is God and how's this going to turn out. Because God has already told you he's with you here, but we need to hold on by faith until we see the fullness of what he's going to do. And some of that fullness, because some of this speaks to the future, we're not even going to see this side of eternity. Some of it we're going to see in the age to come in God's future where Jesus returns and makes the world new. We need to see things as God sees them. But this is not, does not mean that we just hope and wonder, what are you going to do, God? No, we have confidence that the God who started a good work will bring it to completion. So let me just uh, end with this question. Do you consider yourself blessed? Do you consider yourself favored by God? Do you consider yourself privileged? Do you consider yourself fortunate? If you do, why? The essence of the good news, and those of us who say, yes, I do, the right answer is because God has come to us when we least expected it in Jesus. If I say, well, yeah, because I have, because I did, because I promise, then we missed the gospel in its entirety. You can say in these blessings, the entire Sermon on the Mount is wrapped up. Some uh, commentators have actually suggested that the rest is a commentary on what it means to be blessed. And the good news goes against our culture's mandate, which says, if you have, you are blessed. If you did and achieved, you're blessed. If people see this in you, you're blessed. If you have no social media followers, you're blessed. If you have little resources to make it, you're blessed. You say, what? Because if you have Jesus, those other things are so secondary and so low on the list. Friends, I want to remind you of the good news. God loves you deeply. And he's demonstrated his love and the sending of his son, Jesus. Now, next Sunday, we're going to look at what these blessings are in line and in detail. But for now, let me just end with this. If you have not yet chosen to become a follower of Jesus, why not now? Everyone who was hearing this original message was on their way. They had known enough about Jesus to walk to the hill and listen to him. And until you turn your life over completely to the grace of God demonstrated in Jesus, then the rest of this is just information. But if you internalize it and say, you know what? I'm like Adam, I'm like Eve, and I'm rebellious. But God, I believe that what you want to do is cover. Cover my past, cover my shame, care for that, remove it. And if you recognize that this has been done completely in and through Jesus, 
through his perfect life, through his perfect death, through his complete resurrection, through his ascension into heaven and his promise to return, his nearness now by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can say, no matter whether you have a lot in the bank or nothing, your body is healthy and you're feeling whole or you're racked with some sort of sickness or disease, irrespective of your circumstances, you will be able to say with confidence, I am blessed. Why? Because God has come to live even with me. And he's given me his favor, his grace, his goodness, his kindness. This is the gift of God for you. So I think the greatest response that we can do is always, it's the same old thing, is to turn to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Don't waste another moment. You could be a podcast watcher. You could be a, a churchgoer when it's allowed. You could be a Bible reader and not receive the grace of God. Why don't you just do it and settle it now? We're going to pray together for those of us who've already done that. Let's pray with thanksgiving because maybe it's not our first moment, but gosh, I should never go past the good news. It's always good. And so let's respond to it now in, in turning our eyes towards Jesus and saying thank you. Join me in praying right now. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your favor, your mercy. We don't deserve it, but we receive it. And Lord, for my friends who even now in their own soul who know it's time to turn to you and to repent to have a change of mind. And for those who are saying even now, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You're the king. You're the savior of the world. Jesus, save me. Lord, I pray that you'll do that now as even by screen, people turn to you. For those of us who have, Lord, we rejoice that our past is forgiven, that our present is forgiven when we confess and we say, Lord, we're sorry. Lord, that our future is confidently secure, not because of what we do or what we achieve, but because of what you've done for us. Lord, we can rest on your promise. This virus is real, but you're more real. Pandemics are real, but you're more real. Unemployment is real, but you're more real. Lord, we put our trust, we put our hope in you. Lord, help us every day to keep our eyes on you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as an act of worship. We're going to move on to communion and singing, but as an act of worship, I'm going to invite you even now as the box shows up on the side of the screen. If today you said, yes, I commit my life to Jesus uh, and you really mean it, please just, just do that raise hand, click that raise hand. And then when something pops up on your screen that says connect with someone, say yes. And talk to one of our team right now. Our team is live and they would love to encourage you by chat and you just simply click raise hand and that could begin that conversation. For the rest of us, let's enjoy God's goodness by remembering the bread and cup and singing in worship to Jesus. <laughs>